Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. When it comes to big or small projects around the home, Tony and Corey have got the know-how and the answers to make your life just a bit easier. Here they are, your Weekend Warriors, Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. I'm Corey Valdez. And I'm Tony Cookston. Thanks for tuning in with us again this week. We're, uh, we're going to be talking about some fun stuff today because it's almost springtime. Well, not almost. It's, <laughs> wow. It's, it's you getting got, close. You've got winter in fast forward right now. I guess I want it to be. Oh, of course. <laughs> almost springtime. Winter is always a difficult time. But i got to be honest with you, here in uh, in the valley where we're at in the Pacific Northwest, I feel like we haven't really even experienced the debt of winter. I Yeah, you're right. I, I agree with you because my kids say on a regular basis... When's it gonna snow? I mean, we haven't even had but just a handful of of frosts or frozen nights. I feel like we, I think the worst of it is ahead yet. I think our listeners in Central Oregon would wring our necks for uh, for saying that. But <laughs> well, probably. I, uh, I I in the valley. You're right. Here in the Portland area, we have not seen any snow. I've seen some bulbs. Starting to, uh, to break through the the dirt, you know, some green flowers starting to yeah. sprout up. I think it they're thinking it's springtime, but we got some time yet. Well, I'll tell you what, one of the biggest snowstorms I've ever experienced in the Portland area was in February. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm still holding out hopes. Yeah, well, we have February yet to come, that's for sure. Well, either way, spring projects are very close to being on my mind. Sure, sure. And uh, one of those spring projects that I love doing is talking about sheds, building sheds, different styles, and essentially things to consider when building a shed. It's funny because you said talk about sheds like as if you were to refer to the antlers from an a deer or an elk. You know, they're also (laughs) called sheds. Another fun topic, actually. Uh, it is. I'm not a hunter, right. but I know you are, and I know a lot of our listeners probably are. But uh, no, I mean the 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 sheds built out of of lumber. Yes, sheds for storing uh, lawn equipment or um, other antlers, other things that you store. Yeah, antlers for sure. Other things that you store, boxes or whatever that might be. And a shed uh, has many many uses, multiple uses. Um, sometimes a shed can be used as a shop. Yeah, like yours. Yep, it can be used as a storage space for things that you don't access regularly or a storage space for things that you do access regularly. Yeah, the uh, is long, and, and that's probably another thing that you need to consider, right? It's, is what are you putting in your shed and what you need to store in there and what type of... Uh, storage do you need in there? You know, does it need to be off the ground? Does it need to be dry? Does it need to be warm, climate controlled? You know, these are the sorts of things that you would want to think about before you go down the process of, you know, even designing a shed. What what do you even need one for? Yeah, for for example, what is going to go in there? Can everything that you're going to put in there fit through a three-foot door? Or is it going to need to be two three-foot doors? Or are thinking more like a 12-foot door 
or a 16-foot door. <laughs> or a 30-foot door. <laughs> uh, so what, many options. What you're going to put in there is going to depend uh, on how you build it and what components you use to build it. Right. Like, let's talk about your shed a little bit, because when you built your house brand new, uh, just how many years ago? 10 years ago? 2006. So 2006, uh, 14 years. Wow. I know. Crazy, isn't it? So 14 years ago, you built your house brand new. It was in a dare home. That's right. And you decided to build a shed off to the side and into the back. Right. Uh, behind your where your garage is. Uh, what were the, some of the things that you, what are some of the things you use your shed for? And did you consider those things back when you built that shed? Well, the very first uh, thing that we were building the shed for, the primary motivator for building the shed was to store my mom and dad's stuff. My mom and dad had recently sold their home and started to become snowbirds where they travel back and forth. And so they bought a motor home. So they were without their uh, conventional home and had a motor home. They had a lot of things they needed to store. Well, storage, as you know, can be very expensive, especially after some years of storing it. Oh, yeah. So to save them $1,600 a year in storage fees, we thought we'll just build a shed and we'll store their stuff in the shed. And so they, of course, didn't have property now, and I had a piece. So that was the primary motivator for building my shed. It was going to be storage for my mom and dad's stuff for a time, for the time that they were snowbirding back and forth. So we decided what size it needed to be, and and what the access needed to be based on that criteria. And 15 years later, finally, it came back to you. That's right. Finally, uh, my mom and dad decided that they were done traveling back and forth and done maintaining that motor home. And they sold the motor home and bought a house. <laughs> and so that was an opportunity to um, gather their things and go back through them all and decide what needed to be kept and what didn't and what needed to be um, used and what didn't and what needed to be stored again yeah, and what didn't. Yeah. So that was a big project for them. But ultimately for me, it left me with a 12 by 16 empty space that was now clean slated and I could use it for whatever I wanted. Nice. Um, fortunately, when we built it, um, we did run power to it and we did insulate the inside and we actually put up, instead of a hinged door, or a sliding door, we put up a roll-up door. So an overhead door that is uh, six foot wide and six foot tall, which made access really nice. Nice. Yeah, that uh, that's pretty handy to have. Uh, would it be safe to say, though, that what you're using that shed for now, which is kind of a workshop, you've turned it into like a little wood shop with some tools and whatnot in there. Would it be safe to say that the size of what you have now is not quite Big enough for what you wanted it for? It certainly is not ideal uh, for what I'm doing. I, you know, I I have been a dabbler in in woodworks, right? Dabbler, and create creating things and crafting things and uh, with wood and that sort of thing. But but I so I've gathered some tools, and while I am able to fit my tools in there and use them. It's definitely a tight space. I sent you a picture. You were able to look at it, and and you can see that it's there, and it's workable, but it's not ideal. I mean, it's not perfect. If I were building it now as a workshop, it would probably be 16 by 20 yeah, <laughs> instead of 12 by 16. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, one of my biggest things when I say uh, probably the first thing on my design list 
and tips for designing a shed is when you're determining the size of your shed, always go bigger than you think that you'll need right now. Because down the road, you know, by the time you have the bikes in there or your lawnmower or whatever, the pressure washer and all of those things that you currently own, what about the things that you might own down the road? And it's, to me, in my opinion, it's a heck of a lot cheaper on the front end to just, you know, figure a couple extra square feet rather than later on not have enough space in that shed. Yeah. Uh, When we come back, we are going to talk about the factors that you use when you decided what size your ship is going to be. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Don't go away, folks. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for staying with us. Today we're talking about things to consider when building a shed. It seems like such a simple thing, right? A little shed in your backyard to store your lawn tools or whatever. But I feel like there's a lot more that goes into the design and what you actually are need to do to get ready to build your shed because... I feel like a lot of people do it, and then in a couple years, they regret it because they didn't build it big enough, or they didn't build it tall enough, they didn't put the right size door in, they didn't run electricity to it. I mean, there's a lot of these things where they put it in the wrong place, you know? Uh, That's what we're talking about today. And our first segment, we're going to talk about design. You know, Tony built a shed 16 years ago uh, with the intent of storing stuff for his parents. Well, that time has passed. And now Tony's shed is in the second age of (laughs) usability, and he's converting it to a a workshop, essentially. Right. But it is quite a bit smaller than what you would want. So now you're probably regretting a little bit the size of the shed that you built at that time. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of things that that played into the decision that was made. You know, we you have to you have to take into consideration setbacks. The spot that you're going to put it, if this is the spot where it's going to go, what are what are your setbacks? You know, I have to be a certain amount of feet off of the property line from the side, off of the property line from the back, and also from the street. So when you decide where it's going to be, the size of it sometimes will depend on what you're allowed to do according right. to the local jurisdiction. Yeah, that is also... Uh... That is part of our design process is figuring out what the city will allow you to do. And then, of course, there is also budget. I mean, just because it would be nicer to have a 16 by 20 than a 12 by 16 doesn't always make that money be in your pocket and you have the availability to spend it. So the amount of money that you can afford to spend to build also has to play into that. Yeah, uh, I will say, and this is, you know, just from the years of working at Par Lumber, uh, pricing out certain things, you know, materials come in sizes. Uh, for instance, James Hardy 
lap siding comes, they're all 12 foot lengths, all 12 foot. So if you were going to build, say, a shed that was 10 foot by 10 foot, well, you know, you have all these two foot cutoffs that you could use, sure, uh, but more than likely you'd want to use the whole 12 foot piece from end to end and not use those two foot pieces, you know, you'd have a hundred laps on one side of the shed. And that would make sense because the portion of the cost of the shed, the siding is a large percentage of that. Right. You're going to spend a lot of the money on the siding. So if you have an opportunity to not waste product, then uh, that could help sway your decision on the size. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I have this conversation with people all the time when they come in with their deck plans, for instance. They lay out the size that they have or the size that they want and a lot of times people, because they don't know, they'll come in and say, well, I want a deck that is, you know, 11 foot by nine foot, you know, which doesn't really optimize your materials because deck boards, like for instance, treks only come in 12 foot, 16 and foot and 20 foot. Yes, you can get cedar deck boards in eight through 20, but two foot molts. So if you have an 11 foot deck, you're going to have a foot cutoff on every single board. Right. So you're going to be just in deck boards alone, you're going to be throwing away all of these pieces that are just short pieces. So much money. Versus just adding a joist and making it 12 foot. Mm -hmm. So things like that, for instance, with uh, building a shed. Um, if, you're, if you're building it raised off the ground, like, uh, like my shed. I built my shed raised off the ground. Um, because I wanted, uh, I wanted it to keep everything dry on the inside and I didn't want it sitting on gravel. You know, there, there, that is a way of building a shed is you can pour a gravel slat pad and then build your shed right on top of that or like a pole barn construction. Sure. No floor. Right. Well, if you're going to put, use decking, for instance, like, um, four by eight sheets of, um, plywood decking or edge gold or something like that, those those sheets come in four by eight, four foot by eight foot. So if you were going to build your shed at five foot by, you know, some weird size, five <laughs> foot by 12 or 13. 11, 10 foot or something <laughs> like that, you know what I mean? You're, you're wasting more material by throwing it away rather than just bumping it up to that next size so that you're optimizing the lumber package for what you're going to build. And it probably, when you pencil it all out, it won't cost you that much more money to add a couple studs. You know, it's going to offset that by a lot rather than just throwing it away. Yeah, knowing what standard sizes, and it also plays into that, standard sizes. If you are looking at something that is 22 or 24 feet long and standard material, the longest is 20, well, then you're, you're looking at potentially having to special order something that's, uh, that's longer than standard size. So that can increase your lead time as well as the amount of money that you're spending. Absolutely. You know, and it comes down to when, when optimizing my material packages for anything that I'm, you know, doing a takeoff on or I'm helping somebody design something or build something, I try and stick to those particular sizes, you know, like roof sheathing. You know what I mean? You, a sh same thing goes for roof sheathing. Plywood is four foot by eight foot. So when you're laying it out, if you're, would you rather use it or throw it away? Mm, right. You know, so in, in my case, I built my shed so where it's exactly the same amount of sheets in length 
of my shed so where I didn't use, I didn't throw any plywood away for the roof. Yeah. I just made my overhangs slightly bigger to accept the size that goes on there. I mean, so it just kind of makes sense. Think about it that way. And you'll be able to optimize at least the material. Right. There's also uh, there's also a thing that Corey likes to refer to as value engineering, which is finding ways to uh, to use something that's less expensive in an area where it won't make as big of a difference. Here's an example. It's not a shed example, but it's a really good one. Customer called me up. He said, I'm looking for fence boards that are six foot six. He goes, a six foot fence is just not tall enough for me. I need it to be taller. Well, six foot six is not a standard fence board size. Six foot and eight foot are standards. So, but an eight foot fence board is three times the price of a six foot fence board. Right. And so I said, well, you'd have to get eight foot fence boards and you'd have to cut them down if you wanted to go with a longer fence board. Well, that's what he was considering. And that's the question he'd been asking as he was calling around looking for prices. And I said, let me throw a what if at you. What if you were to take two by six pressure treated material and put that against the ground on the bottom of your fence all the way around and then butt the top of your six foot fence boards on top of your two by six? That's going to give you a six foot six fence and it keeps your cedar fencing out of the dirt, which will cause it to rot. And it only costs 15 bucks for an eight foot two by six where you're going to pay 60 bucks more for more expensive fence boards. Yeah. So an opportunity, an opportunity to value engineer, look at, look outside the box a little bit when you're designing your shed and find opportunities to save a little bit of money, but without compromising. Yeah. I have another situation similar to that. We only got a minute before our break, but um, I had a customer come in with a deck design, another deck, uh, but this holds true to anything. They were, uh, they had a long span on this deck it was like 16 feet. They had where the beam came in at the house and then it went out 16 feet and then it supported all the joists. Well, their engineer had specified a five and a half by 14 inch pressure treated glue lamb. <laughs> well, this deck was three feet off the ground. <laughs> there was no reason whatsoever that they couldn't have added one or even two piers to the middle of that thing at a total cost of about $50 sure. and shave that $500 beam off in instead of a $60 beam. Right. So we saved that customer about $300 with one line item. Yeah, that is, uh, that's the kind of stuff you got to look for. We got to take a quick break. More things to consider when building a shed when we come back. Built by Par Lumber. Now, here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for staying with us. Hey, if you haven't already, go check out our Facebook and Instagram page. We're at WW Home Show. Uh, we also have a bunch of videos online at youtube.com forward slash WW Home Show. Uh, or if you are listening to the show or you want to go catch the rest of it, you missed a portion or you want to listen to any of our old shows, you can go uh, find us at Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts. And Google Play. And Google Play. Uh, so wherever you listen to your podcast, go find us. Just search the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. 
Uh, or if you uh, don't have a pen or want to write any of that stuff down, you can go to par.com. That's P-A-R-R.com. Click on the Weekend Warriors link, and that'll take you over to our information page with everything you need to know. Yeah. Uh, if you want to email us a question or comment, please do so. We love hearing from you. It's weekendwarriors at par.com. Uh, okay, so today we're talking about building sheds and some of the things you should consider before building a shed. And I think it all starts with design. If you don't design it right in the in the beginning, you're going to waste time. You're going to waste money. Uh, you're going you're not going to be able to set a correct budget. Uh, so it's to me, it's the most important thing to sit down and say to yourself, "What am I using this structure for? Uh, what am I going to want to use this structure for in ten years?" Or 15 years? Am I even going to be in this house in 15 years? Like, Tony, you built a shed 16 years ago, and now that you're finally getting around to using it yourself, it's too small. Yeah. So, I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I'm using it. And, and it's I'm not going to be kept from using it because it's too small. Sure. It's just not optimal. It's just not, uh, not, it's not what I would have done. Knowing what I know now, it's not what I would have done. And I didn't, uh, and I didn't, I didn't give it that thought about where I was going to be in 15 years back then. And maybe, maybe I might've done something different. Uh, Have you ever seen those sheds that are like four foot by six foot? (laughs) Oh yeah. With With, with with a door that's five and a half feet tall. Yeah. With a little sliding metal door, you know, like those metal (laughs) kits. Yeah. My my next door neighbor's got one. They're all just rusted up from the about eight inches up and yep. No floor in there. Like what is that even keeping dry? To me, it's a mouse house <laughs> and somewhere to keep your shovel dry. Yeah. I mean, it, the, in my opinion, those are not worth the money that they charge to even sell them. Uh, so building your own shed is a little bit more of a challenge, but you're going to be much happier, For in sure. my opinion. Um, uh, but anyway, going back to design, what I always like to say is to... Figure out what you are going to put in there. Just take everything that you have. Like if you're still storing everything in your garage, go and take a, take a look at what you have and try and envision it and draw it out. Like I, when I did my shed, I used graph paper first, and then I went and designed it in SketchUp, which not everybody's going to do, but SketchUp is a free program you can find online uh, that allows you to draw in 3D. Uh, I did that, but you can use graph paper just as easily. Uh, take the things and draw them out to scale. You know, draw it out on graph paper. You can say, okay, well, here's my lawnmower. Here's where I'm going to put some shelving, maybe a workbench. And you'll quickly find out that all of the things that you want to keep in there take up a lot of space. And you probably may know that already because they're stored in your garage right now. Right, exactly. So just make a list of all the things that you want to keep in there. And I would definitely say... Whatever you think you're going to keep in there, uh, make more room. Because once you get it up, you're going to say, man, I wish I had more room that I could put this other stuff in my garage or that brand new kayak that I just bought in there. You know, you're always going to have things down the road, I feel, that you're going to want to keep dry and keep it storage, stored oh, nicely. Yeah, so let's let's talk about that for a second. Uh, there are there is a difference between things that need to be stored inside of a closed and potentially locked space and things that just need to be kept dry. Your shed, when you build it, can also be, uh, it can double 
as the, you know, a, something with a lean-to on the side. Oh, that's a good idea. So, for example, if you have a fireplace or a wood stove and you burn wood, then a lean-to on the side of the shed would be a great spot to store wood or other things that can be kept outside of the building but just need to be in a dry space. You're gaining square footage right there. I saw um, the other day a great shot of a, a rack that was built on the side of a shed that held long-handled tools. And there was a lot of them. There was probably 30 long-handled tools in this rack that was hanging on the side of a shed that was underneath a lean-to. Those shovels do you need? Those long-handled tools don't need to be inside the shed. They can be on the outside of the shed, underneath a lean-to. Um, but it's not just shovels, hoes, rakes, um, all of the things that uh, that you might need in the yard when you're working. Yeah. And I feel like this is extra important where we live. We live in a rainforest, essentially. <laughs> and anything that you you keep outside for any period of time gets ruined so quickly by sitting in the rain, in the muck. It just gets trashed. So if you keep it dry or you keep it under cover, you know, if you do put it a lean-to up, you know, it's really easy to put a layer of gravel down. So anything that you keep in there keeps just stays nice and clean and dry. Mm-hmm. You know what's underneath my lean-to right now? Gravel? A trailer. Oh, a trailer. Yeah, a, f- a trailer. It's got, uh, it's got sidewalls, right? But it's open, an open trailer with sidewalls on it parked underneath my lean-to, which is a perfect spot for it. Keeps it dry, yet it's outside. Doesn't need to be inside of the shed. And uh, I've got a pretty good size lean-to on the side of my shed, which serves me very well. But you know what? I didn't build it until about 10 years later. Yeah. After the shed was already up. I hadn't considered that when I was building the shed, but it sure made a great spot for it after I decided I wanted to do it. And it's pretty inexpensive to put up a few posts in a beam and some joists and run them back to your shed that you already have constructed. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say... You know, part of the process of figuring out your shed and your materials and your budget is to figure out what materials you want to use to build it. Uh, For instance, dry lumber versus green lumber, Um, pressure treated lumber. You may want to build your whole thing out of pressure treated or borate treated. Say you have a um, you live in an area where there's a lot of insects that might eat wood like termites. You can use borate-treated wood to build the whole thing, and they don't eat – they won't eat it. So you can build it out of that. You could also build it out of um, glue lambs or heavy timbers or – you know, these are just the things you got to think about. Siding, roofing, you know. Uh, My shed that I built, I sided with cedar because I wanted it to match my house. So that was a pretty large chunk of my budget. So, you know, you see these pictures, a lot of people will go online and see these great pictures of these really fancy looking sheds, and then they find out how much it costs to build them. Uh, when, if you just sit down in the beginning and figure those materials out, you can, like Tony said, value engineer or, you know, value design is probably a, a better term for that. Just figure out on the front side how much these things are going to cost. Speaking of the front side, you value designed your shed by putting lap siding that matched your house on the front elevation of the shed. Right. But T111 on the sides in the back. That is correct. And that was value designed, right? It was less expensive to buy 4x8 sheets of T111 for the sides in the back. 
and still have a shed that looks like the house because it's got the same siding on the front. Siding was more expensive, but you ended up with the desired result and uh, it turned out really good. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing. That is one of those things that I'm never, you never see it. You only see the front of my shed and the other two sides, actually I have it on two sides of the side, two sides that you see, uh, but the other two sides you, you never see. Right. So why not? And here's another one. Uh, you decided to go with metal roofing on the roof and you've got a shed style roof. I have got an A-frame style roof or a gable end roof and I went with composition. So there's there's lots of different things to consider. What's the pitch? Uh, is it going to be fairly flat? Your roof is pretty flat. It's pitched, but pretty, pretty flat. Metal was the right way to go for you. Composition was the right way to go for me. And uh, th these are all some of the decisions you have to make going into the design, right? We, we actually have to take another quick break. When we come back, more talk about that shed. Don't go away. to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. Now, here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Today, Tony and I are talking about things to consider when building a shed. And we've spent a lot of time talking about design, because I feel like that's the single most important part of any shed project. You want to design it, that way it'll save you time and money in the long run. One of the things we didn't talk about, you talked a little bit about the floor. You talked about a gravel base. We didn't talk about slab on grade, which is uh, a lot of times a choice that uh, the people prefer. Uh, I think that they want to have something that's solid. Concrete is a good way to go, but that takes some more planning and, uh, and it costs a little bit more money, but it is certainly an option. Well... I think, again, it kind of goes back to what you're storing in there. If, you, if you're going to keep a riding lawnmower in there that might be kind of heavy, you might not want to pull that riding lawnmower in on a plywood floor. It might get torn up. Or, you know, if you have all kinds of other heavy equipment. How about a steamroller? A steamroller. A vehicle. You know, if, <laughs> if you're parking a vehicle in there, you'd probably not want to put it on plywood. But rather, you know, yeah, a slab floor. That just makes sense. Sure. But again, making those decisions, figuring it out now, that way you save your money in the long run. That's right. Uh, another thing to consider in that design process is windows and skylights. Uh, I went ahead and picked up two windows and a door for my shed on the front side. And I actually got a little creative here because I went over to the Habitat for Humanity Restore and I found, I was just going to buy two like regular old, you know, vinyl windows. And I didn't care if they opened or not. I just wanted light. That was kind of my biggest thing is I was just going to build a shed and I wanted to be able to see in there uh, because I wasn't going to run any electricity or anything. So I went to the Habitat for Humanity and I found two uh, window sashes, like really nice uh, aluminum clad wood window sashes. That under normal any normal circumstances probably would have cost several hundred dollars, and I picked them up for like twenty bucks. Uh, but because they weren't technically windows, all I did was I framed the opening. I I used pieces of wood, and I just stuck them in there. 
You stopped it in. Yeah, I, I used window stops, essentially, and built it like any normal insulated glass unit. I guess would be the way to sure. describe that. Yep. And caulked them in place, and they look great from the outside. Absolutely. So uh, that's just one of the design things that I saved a lot of money on from my end. I did consider skylights because, I it, again, it's really dark. It's under a tree. And like you said, I did go with metal roofing uh, because I am under a tree. And my slope of my roof is very, very shallow. Uh, so I went with metal just to prevent any sort of buildup of, you know, junk on composition roofing. But I opted not to go with the skylights because the slope was too low. And I didn't want to have to worry about leaks. Yeah. Of course, uh, if you were to choose a skylight that had a curb mount, uh, you probably would be all right. Curb mounts uh, is, a, is an okay skylight even for a flat roof. But um, but making that decision ahead of time, deciding what you want to do, you'd be, honestly, with the tree that's over the top of this, you'd be cleaning that skylight up there all, all the, the time. time. Yeah, it would have been it would have been a headache probably more than it would have been a help uh, yeah. to add light. But it actually, your shed turned out really good. And uh, those two non-operable windows that you got super cheap uh, was a nice savings, and it added a really nice look, especially with the lap siding. So you did a good job. Those were good choices you made. Yeah, and honestly, I did pick up two skylights that I was going to use here that I got at the Habitat for Humanity. They were actually displays of skylights that uh, would have worked out perfect if I used them, but I just didn't. Yeah. So. Something else we need to consider when when we're planning to build a shed is the jurisdictional requirements. There are... Um, there are certain things you can and can't do with a permit or without a permit and deciding whether or not you are going to permit your project or try to build it without a permit um, has to do a lot with the decisions that you've made. Here's a primary example. In some jurisdictions, there is a maximum square footage and also a maximum peak height on a shed that you're going to build that you can't surpass unless you're having it permitted. So if you've decided I'm going to build a shed, I'm not going to mess with the permit, I'm just going to make sure that it's under a certain size and that the peak is under a certain height, then that's, that is one of the decisions that you make and that's the direction you're going to go. Um, permits, uh, costs for permits are, are, I don't even know, they're all over the place. It can be a little bit of money or a lot of money, depends on where you're building and, and what you're doing, but, uh, but it is certainly something that you have to take in consideration. We talked earlier also about setbacks. Uh, the shed has to be placed, if it's being permitted, uh, it has to be placed a, a certain distance from from your back uh, property line and your side property line, and also from the street. Yeah, and that's all determined on your local jurisdiction. I know mine's different than yours. Um, and then the size of the shed is also determined. Like, for instance, I think in my area, anything under 250 square feet, as long as it's not a permanent structure... Um, you don't need to pull permits for it. So I, I built my shed according to the size that I wouldn't have to go and get a crazy design and build, you know, permits and all those sorts of things. Um, I made it smaller than that requirement. Corey, here's something that I w wanted to ask you about. Uh, you know, as you know, I took a trip to Arizona recently, helped my brother build a pergola on his back patio. And uh, he lives in an area that has uh, restrictions. Uh, they called them HOAs. 
I don't really know what HOA stands for, but they had to abide by the homeowners association. Homeowners association. Okay, so they had a homeowners association that uh, would determine what they were allowed to do. Right. They, they, they had to, if they built something back there, it had to be painted a certain color, had to be a certain size, it had to be made out of a certain kind of material, all the types of restrictions. Um, and that, that of course, was in Arizona. I've here in, in the area where we're at here, another term, CCNR. Uh, what does CCNR stand for? Uh, so it's CC and R's. Oh. Uh, there's not an N in there, but um, <laughs> it's covenants, conditions, and restrictions. Um, neighborhoods can have CC and R's. They can also have HOAs. Um, essentially, it, it creates a set of rules for what you can and cannot do on your own property. And depending on how it's written, when you buy your home, you'll know that if you're in one because you have to sign the paperwork to get in one. Uh, and then you have some, some of them require monthly or yearly payments. Some don't. Um, but you'll definitely want to check that paperwork before you proceed with anything, any sort of project that you're working on your house, especially the exterior. You really got to be careful because I've heard horror stories where people have gone in, for instance, in a, in a particular CCNR area or HOA area. Uh, it says in there, you must have cedar roof shingles. Period. You must have it. And this guy said, nah, I'm not doing that. I'm putting in presidential composition roofing. It's very nice. It's expensive. And it's that's what I want. So he paid like 20 grand to have this whole roof redone with this presidential shingles. Well, the HOA said, no, uh, sorry, doesn't work. And he fought them and fought them and fought them and lost. Oh, no. Tear, he had to tear the whole thing off. Oh, no. And put on cedar shingles. Yikes. So he ended up paying two and a half times because he had to pay to put it on, pay to tear it off, and then pay to put it back on. Oh, man. And there was no fighting it because you signed the paper that said you will abide by those laws. And, you know, you think you can try or maybe you're a really good lawyer and you can. But uh, for the most part, I think most people wouldn't want to fight with their homeowners association or CCNRs because... You know, it's just it's a, you're not going to win. Yeah, well, that that definitely sounds like something to consider if you're planning to build a shed. Make sure that you're f abiding by the rules and getting permission getting permission um, before you head in there, because they might tell you something that that will change the way you're doing what you're doing. I'm not saying you won't necessarily get to do it, but it might change something about the way you're doing what you're right, doing. Right. And knowing that ahead of time definitely is. Uh, half the battle. Yeah, you you might read in there where it says, "Sorry, you're not allowed to have a shed." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you might. And then you get all the neighbors on your street in trouble because they all have sheds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the the next thing you need to determine after you've decided what it's going to look like, um, how you're going to build it, what stuff is going to be in there. Now, what other accoutrement is it going to need? Are you going to want to have lights in there? Yeah, that's definitely something you want to consider. Lights uh, in your shed, electricity, outlets. I mean, that's important stuff. Yeah, and it's something that needs to be determined in the planning stages because it does cost money. Right. We're going to talk about that and so much more as soon as we come back. You're listening to Tony and Corey, your weekend warriors. Don't go away.
Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. When it comes to big or small projects around the home, Tony and Corey have got the know-how and the answers to make your life just a bit easier. Now, here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show built by Par Lumber. I'm Corey Valdez. And I'm Tony Cookston. Thanks for sticking around with us today. We're talking about things to consider when building a shed. Uh, A shed is probably one of the most versatile things on my property. I love it. I built it big. And I have so many things in there that used to be in my garage Uh, So it's really nice to be able to get those out of there. And then I turn my garage into my workshop. So that's what we're talking about today. Wait, your garage is your workshop? Yes. And how how big is that space? Not big enough. (laughs) So we're in the same same boat, are we? Yes. But if I had the space, I would have built, you know, a shop. But I just don't. I just didn't. I don't. And until I buy some acreage, I'm kind of stuck with what I got. So... Anyway, before the break, we were talking about electricity. This is definitely something you want to think about during the planning stages of your shed, especially because you need to figure out where you're going to put that shed on your property and how much it would cost to run electricity to that area. Is it even possible? Do you have to run it overhead or underground? Uh, These are just the things you have to think about. Uh, Tony, you put electricity into your shed. I did not because I didn't need it. I put windows in there, and it's just for storage. You, on the other hand, let's talk a little bit about why you put electricity into yours. Well, my dad's a retired electrician, so everything for my dad, you know, he he, he likes uh, to have... Powered elect- everything. Yeah, he likes to have it powered. Um, plus, in addition to that, he knew that he would be in there getting at some of the things that he was storing in there, and he was going to need to have light to do that. And so uh, in case he uh, wanted to run a fan or, uh, or a dehumidifier or, or something else in there to keep uh, that space exactly what he wanted it to be, he thought he might need to have power there. So yeah. it made perfect sense. And for him, not a big deal to make that happen. And so uh, that's the way it went. And it got done. And we went underground with it. Nice. Yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely you thought about it the right way because down the road, here you are. 15, 16 years later, you've turned it into a shop, and without electricity, you'd be running extension cords from the garage <laughs> yeah. into your yeah. new shop. Yep, absolutely. It uh, definitely worked out good for me uh, going forward, and so I'm glad that it is. And uh, now with LED lights, you know, I can have I can have all the light I could ever imagine wanting to have in there, and I don't have to worry about, uh, you know, a breaker or, or anything like that. So, yeah, yeah it's good. It's worked out good. I'm glad that there is power in my shop. Power for your power tools. Mm -hmm. All right, let's talk about choosing your site. Uh, You know, there's a lot to consider when choosing the site on your property. Uh, Accessibility, security. You know, we've talked on this show before about, uh, we've had a security show where we talked about different uh, things regarding security on your property. And your shed is no different. You're going to be keeping things in there that are potentially expensive. You know, if you're keeping tools or power tools, um, you want it to be secure and you want to build it also secure. That's like the windows that I put into my shed. They don't open. You can't just pop them open. They're, they're put in there. So to get through the windows on my shed, you would have to shatter them, smash them. And it would still be difficult. 
Um, on the end, I have a double door uh, that's padlocked. So I've tried to make my shed very, very secure, even though it's really close to my house. It, it is secure. Uh, but if you live on property, you know, are you putting your shed in the back 40? Is there a way to get electricity back there? Do you have any sort of security? Uh, that's just something to consider. Yeah, I know that when I decided where I wanted my shed to be, uh, I had two really good spots in the in the backyard where I could have it. I have a second approach, uh, which is like a, a second driveway in one corner of the property, which would have been a great place to put it. But I also have an extended driveway in front of the garage, which was another really good spot to put it. Um, but ultimately, I uh, I left the one space with the uh, with the extra approach in front for a potential uh, RV and put the shed at the other end of the property. And uh, I had room to go bigger if I wanted to go bigger, but um, it seemed like the size that we built was was all we were going to need. Yeah. And I, I wished I would have looked forward a little bit more. And you built your shed on a essentially a post and beam. You have pier pads with pressure-treated posts up to like a framework and then sheeted it with like CDX plywood, right? Three-quarter ULTG. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. Uh, my shed is similar. I built it on piers. It's temporary, essentially. So uh, anyway, choosing your site, that is something to consider. Uh, if you are building it off the ground, you want to consider how high off the ground. You know, if you're putting a riding lawnmower in there or, you know, you're going to be putting things in there, are you going to have to build a ramp? Are you, or can you dig down? Like what I did was I dug my piers down into the ground about two feet and then I just have short little posts with the beams that go down. And, and when I put my decking on it, it's only about four inches above the ground level. So it worked out really, really well for me uh, doing it that way. Because when I push my, my lawnmower in there, I don't have to lift it up off way off the ground or have a big ramp. Yeah. Yeah, I, I went one step further and dug mine even deeper and uh, ended up with that maybe two or three inches from the hard pan up to the surface of the floor and then backfilled that with gravel. So nice. now the gravel is right up flat with the surface of the floor. There's no step at all. And, uh, and I don't have to worry about water trying to get in there because the water will soak right through that gravel yeah. down to the hard pan. So mine turned out really good. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure that I could foresee it being as smooth as it was, but we definitely knew we didn't want to have to have a ramp or steps so we dug it down as deep as we could go in order to make that happen. You know, with your situation where you have the gravel, um, mine is just dirt. I did put a little bit of gravel down there to try to um, reduce the amount of moisture and water that was just sitting. I wanted it to try and drain as much as possible. Um, but mine definitely has rodents living under it. Oh, no. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I don't think it's avoidable at this point. I've, I have the killers come in, and, and they put traps, you know, and to keep, and bait and things to keep the, the mice and rats and rodents from digging underneath, but there are clear signs of, I don't know what's living under there, but I'm pretty sure it's rats. Yeah, that's, uh, you know. That's never, that's never a good deal, but again, this is a building that's outside, right, and it's not conditioned, and uh, you're going to deal with some of that. Yeah. No, true. Unless, of course, you poured a slab and had your slab on grade and built your building on top of the concrete slab, in which case nothing's living underneath there but snakes. 
That is, uh, if I had my way, I would have a shop, a workshop with a slab on grade, um, probably even with geothermal or heated slab. Oh, you know? yeah. Just because it's, you know, it's expensive to heat shops. So that would probably be the most economical way to do it. But I just don't have that space here at my house. Uh, and the way I built it was the easiest for me. And and the least expensive, I, I feel like, as well. Unless you weren't going to put a floor at all, if you were going to just have gravel. But uh, having a floor, building that with pier blocks and a wood post and beam, and decking that with plywood is um, about the least expensive way, uh, I think, to build it. we got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Today we're talking about things to consider when building a shed. Uh, Tony has a shed in his yard that uh, he built 16 years ago. I have a shed that I built in my yard just a few years ago, and I'm already out of space. How about you, Tony? Oh, yeah. Well, that's just the way it's going to be. You're (laughs) always going to be out of space because if you've got space... You fill it up. You fill it up, man. That's what you do. And so... You just have to find a way to to make what you've got work. And if it simply doesn't, then you know what? It's time to expand the shed. <laughs> a little shed remodel, maybe? A, a, a shed edition? A shed edition, yeah. Uh, you know, it's always a possibility. I, don't, I would be lying if I said I hadn't thought about it already. Yeah. Well, you went and added a lean-to, which is probably pretty smart. I want to lean, add a lean-to on the backside of my shed uh, for storing firewood and my wheelbarrow, and just things that I don't want necessarily need indoors, uh, but I'd like to keep them dry. You got you about know? three feet back there. I do, yeah. And, you know, for for instance, my wheelbarrow. My wheelbarrow is expensive. Wheelbarrows are expensive. Oh, for sure. Like 80 bucks for this wheelbarrow. Especially if you get one with a flat free tire. Yeah. And steel handles. Yes. Mine has wood handles, so keeping it dry is important to me. Yeah, because the handles start to rot out, and then the next thing you know, you're spending another 20, 30 bucks on handles. Sure. So, anyway, I'm, I think I'm probably going to steal your idea and put a lean-to on the back of my shed. Anyway, we were talking about choosing your site in the last segment and how you have to consider where you're going to put it on your property. Um, one thing that I've, I've seen people make this mistake, where they build a shed in an area on their property that they don't necessarily consider in both seasons. You know, they, they might put it out there in the summertime and then come wintertime when they go to walk into the shed, it's a muddy mess. So thinking about that ahead of time, putting it somewhere where it's probably dry in both seasons and maybe even putting like some sort of gravel pad or something outside so that when you walk up to your shed, you, you stay dry and not muddy. Yeah, another good idea is, is as, uh, I don't know, maybe it seems like it would be a waste of time. I disagree. How about a little bit of a cover just over the door where you go in? That is you, absolutely not a waste of time. Just a little, you know, four foot by four foot 
a gable end porch cover, so to speak, uh, on your shed. That way, when you walk up to the door and you're cleaning off your shoes, you're unlocking the door, uh, you're not just standing there getting dripped on or snowed on or, or whatever's going on. Uh, it, it looks great. It, it's, uh, it is functional and I think it's the way to go. It's definitely something you want to take into consideration when you're designing it. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I actually, at the end of my shed, on the front of it, I have a big three-foot overhang. So it's great. You know, the kids, when they're riding their bikes, they throw, the, throw them under there at nighttime. That way they're not covered with dew or rain if it rains at night. Uh, but on the end where my double door is, it just, it gets pounded. Yeah. So I think I will eventually add some sort of uh, corbelled little, you know, cover that comes out. You know, just a couple feet. Yeah. Just just a couple feet to just keep it nice and dry. Here's another thought I had that's going to take us back to design just for a moment, but I, it's notable and we should talk about it. Corey, if we decided that we're going to build a shed that is uh, 10 by 12, right? And then we lay out the floor at 10 by 12 and we deck it and then we start to roll the, the walls, the, start to frame the two by four or two by six walls. Because you're thinking you're going to put a 10-foot set of shelves in the back. And then you frame in the walls, and then you go in there to put your shelves in, and guess what? You have nine feet. You don't have a 10-foot <laughs> shed anymore because you built the floor 10 feet, and then you framed the walls and set the walls on top of the floor, and now you've got nine feet. This is something to consider. What you're going to put inside there, if you're going to put shelves in there for storing things, and you've already picked up a a 10 foot set of shelves or an eight foot set of shelves, you want to make sure that those, that you're going to have eight feet between your walls and, uh, and not eight feet outside to outside. Yeah. That's a good tip. That happens to the best of us. Yes, it does. I've been there. Um, all right, let's jump on to foundation. You know, what are you going to build the foundation of your shed? We talked about slab on grade. Uh, we've talked about framing, but there's a few different ways to frame, uh, your shed. I built a shed-style roof. Uh, there's also a gable-style roof. There's a gamebrel-style roof, which is kind of a uh, that old classic barn look where it kind of goes up and looks like a the top half of a like barn a pentagon. Yeah, like yeah. a barn roof. Yeah. Um, so there's different different styles, different types of roofs uh, that you can think about when you're framing. Um, slab on gray, like I said. That's probably the best bet. Uh, you can also pour foundations. Even if you do a gravel base, if you just need the ground to be gravel, you can still pour a footing uh, that way. You a a monopore. Yeah, like a monopore, uh, just footings around the perimeter to build in your walls. Um, like the, the method that Tony and I used was post and beam or post and pier. Uh, I bought pier pads. They're just a little, you can buy them at the par lumber. They're... They come in three different sizes, 8 by 8 12 by 12 or 18-inch round. And you can get them either flat top. You can get them with four-way slots in them that will accept two-by material or a four-by post. Or, or they even make them with a four-by-four four, um, post base post base already, already cemented into them. Uh, I went with the four-way deck block. It's got like a four-way in top. And then I built my deck just like I would build a deck on the back of a house. I used pressure-treated lumber, and I, and I built 
like a ladder frame and then put blocking in there. And then I set that, picked that whole thing up with a couple of buddies and we set it down into those pier pads and it worked out perfect. It's super secure inside the weight. I don't even have it bolted down. The weight of the shed itself just keeps it on there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like I actually did use the four by four post base brackets that were inside the piers and, uh, and put the piers down, put the four by sixes or four by eights, uh, a straight run. So pier blocks down both sides and down the middle, three straight runs. And then I hung joists in between them. Oh, very nice. In order to, in order to reduce the amount of framing space that I had below the floor, um, I just hung those two by sixes in between them and then decked on top of that. Yeah. That's not a bad way either. It's, you know, it's a little bit more labor intensive and it's a little bit more money cause you got to buy the nails and the hangers, but, uh, but it does save on space. And since I really didn't want to have that step or uh, a ramp, I think it worked out good for me or dig down another 12 inches. <laughs> right. Exactly. You could have done that, but that's a lot of work. Yeah, that is especially that hard packed clay I was digging in. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's a good tip is to just buy pier pads and build your framework out of pressure treated lumber. I will say if you're going to put pier pads down just on the ground, you need to be conscious of where you're putting them on the ground. If you're just putting them on just the soil, uh, you might be in for a rude awakening down the road, uh, when say one of them starts to sink or two or three or half of them. And then next thing you know, your shed's sitting all wonky. Yeah. Um, if you're going to go that route, I would definitely dig out a little bit and fill that with gravel and compact that gravel down. That'll help prevent those pier pads from sinking down into the soil. You actually had that happen to you. <laughs> I did. Yeah. I was talking about the hard pan I was digging in and that's the way it was at the front half of the shed. It was all very hard and we were you know, looking at the possibility of having to take a pick to it just to dig it down. But what I didn't realize is that hard pack ended about halfway back and the back half of the shed actually was sitting on fill. We had a sloping backyard when we built the house and uh, we had put in a retaining wall and filled that back section back there. And I didn't realize the fill had come so far forward. And sure enough, you know, 10 years later, with all of that stuff packed into that shed, the back end of it sunk about six inches. Ooh, buddy. Yep. And we had to go in there and jack that up, cut the floor out, um, and we had to shim it up and, and square it up. And it, it's not exactly the same. We got to take another quick break. More sheds when we come back. Listening to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show, built by Par Lumber. Now, here's Tony and Corey. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for staying with us. Today, we're talking about things to consider when building a shed. Uh, but if you haven't already, go check out our Instagram and Facebook page. We're at WW Home Show. Uh, or you can check out our uh, YouTube channel or youtube.com forward slash WW Home Show. Um, if you listen to this or you miss part of this one, this show, or you want to go catch some of our old shows, uh, you can download our podcasts. We're at Google Play, uh, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. 
Uh, it's under the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Um, or if you're driving, you don't have a pen or something, you can just go to PAR, head over to PAR.com, P-A-R-R, click on the Weekend Warriors link, and that'll take you over to our page, our information page. Um, we love hearing from you, so if you have questions or comments, let us know. Uh, we love to know when we're right. We love to know when we're wrong. Just uh, just let us know. So uh, if we get a good question, we'll even bring it up on the air. Anyway, so today we're talking about sheds, and we kind of talked a lot about design, choosing your site, um, think about the foundation that you want to build. Uh, we talked a lot, too, in the first segment about value designing. And when it, there's a lot of value designing when it comes to what we're going to talk about next, which is framing. Uh, framing your shed is not just as straightforward as running to the store, buying a bunch of two by fours and going to town. You know, you have to consider, are you going to insulate it? Are you not going to insulate it? Are you going to do a single wall construction, double wall construction? Are you going to put siding with, you know, siding paper? There's a lot to consider there because it matters. If you're going to insulate or what size, what R value do you want in there? You know, is this something that's going to be more of a, uh, like an office? Are you going to insulate it and turn it into somewhere where you go out and have a yoga studio? <laughs> you know, it's not just a shed at that point, but it's the same kind of principles, right? Maybe you're going to build a shed and then convert it later. So let's talk about that, Tony. The Probably the first decision you need to make is green lumber versus dry lumber. And dry lumber is pretty common these days. Honestly, you go to the store, you go to any par lumber, and almost every par lumber stocks dry lumber now. Uh, green lumber is actually probably in the minority, wouldn't you say? Oh, for sure these days with uh, with codes the way they are and uh, the need to have a moisture content below 19% before you can proceed building a new home, it's just becoming more and more that way. As yeah. a matter of fact, we, we just don't move through the green lumber the way we used to and so, but we still have people that call for it. You know, a lot of framers don't like to work with dry lumber. If they could avoid it, right, if it wasn't for the moisture content issues and code and all that, framers wouldn't even work with dry lumber. I mean, it's harder to nail. It's harder to handle. You know, it's splintery and it's, you know, it's slippery because it's, uh, you know, it's got that um, mill glaze on it. I mean, you know, there's a lot of reasons why you hit it and it shatters a lot of times because, yeah. you know, they just don't like it. They just as soon have a, a piece of wet. The wet lumber is always straighter. It's never bowed or twisted or checked or cracked. And it takes a nail and uh, they, they just prefer it that way. Yeah. But and the fact is dry is taking over. If you don't know the difference, that's what Tony essentially said is green lumber is exactly that. It's green. Not the color. It just means that it's fresh. It's it's cut wet, it's milled wet, and it's not seasoned. Yeah, it's send they send it right to the lumber yards and it is wet. Right. You throw it in a fire and it won't burn. Right. It's you, wet. You pick it up and it that's probably the biggest downfall is that it weighs three times as much. Sure. If you yeah. have a two by four eight footer, a green two by four eight weighs way more than a dry one. Right. That's probably the biggest single downfall to green lumber. But like Tony said, a lot of framers like it because, you know, they'll use vinyl coated sinkers and vinyl coat, they put that coating on there to help them slide through the wood. And when you nail a two by four, a green two by four with a vinyl coated sinker uh, versus a dry one, you know right away why they put that coating on there. I mean, they slide right in. Yeah. Like grease lightning. Yeah. 
So uh, you just need to make that determination. You go to, When you go to the lumber yard to pick this up and you say, here's my material list. I need to pick this up and uh, I'm taking it home right now to build a shed. That's going to be the first question. Do you want green or dry? That's right. That's what they mean. Green lumber is wet. Dry lumber is dry. Now, there's different types of dry lumber. And Tony and I have talked about this on the show before. Uh, we've gone over what we call lumber yard lingo. And dry lumber comes in a couple different species. You can get KD dug fir, or you can get KD hem fir. Uh, and that just is the difference is you'll have uh, hem, hemlock, or Douglas fir. Douglas fir is by far superior. It's stronger. It's more denser. Uh, hem fir is less expensive, uh, but it's more apt to bow, twist, check, all of those things. So that's just a consideration. To save some money, you might want to go with hem fir, but it's not terribly available. I'll put it that way. Depending on what market you're in, uh, there's different areas that have more hemlock on the ground than others. You know, in the in the Portland metro area, there's not a ton of hem fur uh, available. So if you go to the store and you say, I want hem fur because I want to save some money, you might not be saving money because if they have to special order it in, you know, there goes all your savings out the window right there. Yeah. You know, the, you're always going to save money by buying the stuff that's in stock. Right. And, you know... The, uh, the amount of money you would save is pretty minimal, honestly. But anyway. Dry is a good way to go. It is harder to deal with, but it, in the end, it's the better thing. It's already done its uh, moving around and, and um, shrinking and bowing and twisting and checking and all of that that it does. And so you, what you get is what you got, and it's not going to move around too much. Green lumber is going to dry, it's move, shrink, pull away. Uh, it's going to, you know, it's going to do those things that it does. And that, that could be a headache for you later or, or not necessarily. There's no way to know. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know what you get with dry lumber, even though it's a little more difficult to deal with. Yeah. And ultimately, it may not matter because it's a shed. Right. So anyway, the uh, the next thing you need to consider is the size of your walls. You want two by four, two by six, you know, maybe even two by eight. <laughs> I've seen two by eight walls before if you're doing some super insulation in there. Uh, but that's kind of the general rule of thumb is uh, two by four, two by six. It's the most common for wall construction. Um, and then on center spacing, 16 inches on center spacing is probably uh, the most common. Um, you're not required. Well, if you're not permitting anyway, if, it, if the structure, your shed that you're building is small enough and you're not getting a permit, it wouldn't matter. Uh, you could put them you know, 14 inches on center or 20 inches on center if you wanted to. But as far as strength, you don't have to go tw uh, 16 on center. You can go 24. You know, it's going to be probably a little more difficult to plumb everything up, but you can do it to save money. Yeah, it uh, works good. 16 and 24, those uh, dimensions work good with four by eight sheets. If you're going to sheetrock the inside, or if you're using um, a, pl a plywood or sheeting, you know, the exterior with siding. Um, also when you're going to insulate, that's generally for 16 or 24 inches on center. So one of those two is going to be the best right. way to go. If you're doing any of those things, uh, it, it works out the best for you. And uh, the math all works out like it's supposed to. So, And then you don't have to wonder what you did uh, when you come back through. Right. 16 or 24 
are standard dimensions for stud spacing. Uh, then you probably want to think about your headers. Uh, it's headers are essentially the piece of lumber that goes above an opening that transfers the load from your roof down to the foundation, whatever that may be. If you have a large opening and you may need a, a larger header, you know, if you have a three foot opening or a two foot opening, uh, it's definitely going to be smaller. But if you go into par lumber, uh, typically there is someone there that can help you size the correct header uh, for your shed. And it's pretty straightforward. Now the header will go over your windows and doors, any openings that are in the wall and, uh, and carry that load from the roof, which is important because if you get some sag um, over your door or over your window, it will cause a sag in the frame of the door or the window and then cause it not to operate. We gotta take another quick break, don't go away. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to the Weekend Warriors Home Improvement Show. Thanks for staying with us. Today we're talking about things to consider when building a shed. Uh, the last segment we were talking about framing. You know, you need to choose green versus dry. We talked about the differences between those. Uh, two by four or two by six walls on center spacing. Uh, your headers. Now, we talked about how to, you know, where the headers go. Again, if you go into par lumber and you say, hey, I need someone to help me size the correct headers. Um, like we have somebody at our yard, uh, that, that's all they do is they size headers and they draw engineered wood products, but they can tell you what size of a header to put over a window. Um, and it's important to remember when you go in to talk to somebody about sizing a header, si uh, sorry, sorry, sizing a header, that you go in with all the information. And what I mean by that is, it's not just the width of a door or the width of an opening. There's a lot more to it that goes into it. You can't just say, hey, I need a header for a four-foot opening. Tell me what I need to use. Well, consider this. If you have a four-foot opening with a, you know, six by 12 sitting on top of that, holding up, you know, 20 foot of load on that one header, that's going to be a bit different than if you have, you know, a five foot load sitting on it. So what they need to do is determine the size of the load that goes on that header. So you need to bring all of the dimensions. Now, if you have, for instance, in my shed, I hand cut all of my roof rafters and they're all going front to back. Now, the door that I have on the side of my shed has very, very little load on it because all of my roof rafters are going the opposite direction. So you need to go there with that information because if you don't, you might not get the right size. Here's another tip. If you're, when you're framing your walls, you're obviously going to have a bottom plate and a top plate and in between those are studs. And when you frame your window, you're gonna have some trimmers and, uh, and you're gonna have your header up there. And when you are framing your wall, it's customary to have a second top plate. And the second top plate will be cut short three and a half inches at the corner on one wall. 
and long three and a half inches at the corner of the, at the same corner of the other wall. That allows you to take those two walls at the corner and tie them together right. with a long top plate by three and a half inches on the end wall and a short top plate by three and a half inches on the front wall. Put that two to there and nail that in. And that that's how you tie the corners of your thing together as opposed to just building the wall and pushing them up there. So, and then here's another thing. If you put those two walls together in the corners, if you're going to put sheetrock up inside, you're going to need to have a nailer there. That's where somebody would build a, what they call a California corner, or um, in some cases, if you have a wall in the center of the room, a partition, but a California corner there, which gives you a little meat to nail your, or screw your sheetrock to when you do that, when you get to that portion of the project. Right. Same goes for siding. You know, on the exterior, if you're putting plywood up, if you're putting T111, you need to figure out where those laps are going to land on the wall. So when you're drawing everything out on your bottom plate and your top plate, you need to make sure that you consider that. Because if you put it up there and then put your plywood on and you're not landing on a stud, you might have to rip that sheet back (laughs) to the next stud and throw it away. Or, you know, it just becomes a pain or you're trying to hand cut in a a stud where one needs to go later. Right. Which is also very difficult to do. Um, So after you've got the walls done, you need to uh, consider what sort of plywood you want to use. You know, we talked about single wall versus double wall. And what we mean by that is, you know, the sheathing that goes on the exterior of the building. You can build what's called single wall where you just put up your plywood siding. You know, that's either T111 with uh, the grooves in it or regular old rough sawn plywood with maybe board and batten or LP T111. It also has grooves in it. Uh, You can do that single just with that. Use that as your wall sheathing and siding. You can totally do that. Or double wall where you would sheet the whole thing with OSB or plywood CDX and then put siding lap boards fixed to that. So you need to think about that ahead of time because if you go into the store and say, I need 20 sheets of plywood, they're probably going to give you plywood. But if OSB will save you some money and you don't care, uh, you need to differentiate that when you're giving the person at the front counter your material list. Yeah, you'll also be thinking about what type of corners or trim you're going to be using based on the kind of siding that you're using. If you are going to be using T111 siding, then you're probably just going to apply trim right over the top of that. But if you're using a lap siding, you'd be applying your corners first and then siding up to them. Right. And and, and caulking after that. So these are decisions that have to be made ahead of time. I'm going to give you a quick tip since we're there. Uh, if you're putting up lap siding like James Hardy or Cedar lap siding or something to that nature, and you put on your corner boards first... You want to make sure, A, that your corner boards are thick enough that when you lap the siding on and butt it up against it, that corner board, you want to make sure it's thick enough that it doesn't, the lap doesn't stick out. You know, it's, it's, it's not know, proud. It's, right. It's not proud of those corner boards. Uh, you want, so if typically if you have like, say a three quarter inch uh, bevel site, cedar siding or something, you would want to use a two by a two by four or a two by six corner board because that when by the time you take that three quarter inch piece and you lap it over the next piece that it's going over top of, it's sticking out 
Um, one inch plus. Yeah, one inch or more. So like Tony said, and you just don't want it to stick out proud. If you're doing James Hardy lap, well, what's called five-quarter corner boards will work just fine because five-quarter corner boards are one inch thick. And by the time you put that lap siding together and it laps over each other, it won't stick out beyond that. Uh, the other thing you want to do is make sure you leave at least three-eighths, no, three-sixteenths of an inch uh, between the lap siding and the corner board. Uh, for That leaves you enough room to apply caulking in there so that you don't get that three-point adhesion that we learned about. That's right, three-point adhesion. Yeah, if you're if you're buttoning it up tight and applying a bead of caulk over the top of that, that caulking is not doing or going to perform the way that it's right. intended. It's going to fa- fail well before you want it to. For sure. All right, so uh, the next thing you want to move on to is the roof. And you need to think about this because do you want to build um, roof trusses? Do you want to go buy roof trusses? There are companies, manufacturers, that that's all they do is they manufacture roof trusses. Uh, You need to think about that because are you going to have them delivered? You know, if you've got 20 foot long trusses, you need to think, can a roof truss truck get in there? That's probably one of the biggest deciding factors of of that is if you get get the roof truss truck out front and they say, well, we can't get our uh, boom truck to the back there because you got all these overhead power lines, you got these trees in the way, or it's just not accessible. They'll drop them in your front yard and you need to haul them back yourself mm-hmm. and fly them up there with a buddy. Right. And a couple of ladders. Yeah. Which isn't fun. No. So just think about that ahead of time uh, versus hand cut, which would mean that you're just taking solid dimensional lumber and cutting in your own rafters, roof rafters and ceiling joists and whatever else you would need. Yep. A ridge rafter. Right. Yeah. Which is, uh, it's, it's, Less expensive, for sure, uh, to cut your own rafters and ridge rafter. It's a little bit more work, takes a little bit more skill to have it turn out uh, the way you want it to turn out. But um, it's rewarding, cutting your own roof in. It's hard work, but it, it turns out good. Uh, you you built your own, you cut in your own roof, and uh, and it was, boy, those boards were big. Two by eight or two by ten? Two by tens. Uh, but yeah, I had a big overhang on the front right? that I needed it. That, like that. Um, but I will say it is difficult. And I did it myself and it was a shed roof. So essentially what I did was I built the front of my shed wall taller than the back. I just built that lower. And then that created that shed style roof. Right. So, I mean, really my rafters were straight. So if I had to cut any sort of hip rafters or jack rafters or anything like that, there's some serious math involved there, and some framers are bird's lots, mouth. lots smarter than <laughs> me. Yeah. Throw me that little blue book down there, <laughs> rafter book. Yeah. Uh, but it's uh, it's good. I, I love the way mine turned out. I wouldn't have done it any other way. I, I think that I wouldn't have, even if I were doing it again, which I probably will at some point, I will, I will do the same thing. I'll hand cut the roof. I think it turned out really good. I like the way it's made. And then on the inside, it's vaulted, and I love that. Yeah. Thank you so much, folks, for tuning in. This has been another episode of Your Weekend Warriors right here. Weekend Warriors Radio Network. Have a great week.